This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. We've been covering the disciplines of the faith for the last several weeks, and my goal in this series is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to pull you into a deeper relationship with Him. We must train ourselves in the foundational disciplines, church, if we're going to continually grow in our relationship with Christ. And 1 Timothy 4, 7a through 8, verse 8, has kind of been our theme verse for this series. And it says, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So far, we've covered living a life of prayer. And then we covered living a life of the word, all disciplines of the faith. Living a life of praise and worship. And last week, we touched on living a life of holiness. And all these things are so important, again, if we're going to continually grow. This morning, we're going to cover the next one, living a life of fellowship. Living a life of fellowship. And fellowship is one of those words that we don't use a whole lot outside of church. Maybe it's uh, become a term that's a bit old-fashioned, or maybe a kind of a Christianese word in some sense, but we need to understand what it means and how important fellowship is within our personal relationship with Christ. 1 John 1.7, great verse, interesting verse. I've been meditating on it all week long. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, and by light I want you to know it means illumination. Literally, firelight is what the word of God is saying here. But if we are living in the firelight, the illumination of truth, as, is God, as God is in the light, then, before I say then, how many are living in the light? You've experienced the firelight of God. You, you have experienced the illumination of his truth. Anyone in here experience that? Okay, a few of you, a few more of you maybe want to answer this time. Have you experienced this truth this morning? Hallelujah. It's something to be a little excited about. It's something to lift your voices up about because God is good. And if it wasn't for his goodness, you wouldn't know the truth. Right? But if we're living in the light, if you guys are all living in the light as God is in the light, then... We have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I'm gonna break this down a little bit. Already started doing that. If you're living in the light, then you will have fellowship with one another. That's what it says. If you're living in the light, then you'll have fellowship with one another. You could say it this way. If you don't have fellowship with each other, then you're not truly living in the light. This is an if-then statement or a conditional statement. If is the condition, or if the condition is met, then this is true. Then the following is true. So living in the light, being illuminated by the firelight of his truth has a byproduct. That byproduct is fellowship with one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, fellowship with you. Okay. <laughs> it's a byproduct of living in his light. And I believe that this byproduct of having fellowship is unavoidable. You can't escape it. 
it will happen. If you're living in the life light, you will have fellowship with each other, with one another. In other words, fellowship with each other is the litmus test, if you will, for living in the light. If you don't have fellowship with each other, then you're not, lit, you're not in the light. And if you're not in the light, you're in the dark. You see where the scripture's talking a little bit this morning? It's a litmus test. And we tend to think of fellowship with each other as an optional thing. Like, if I have time, if, if it works out, and if I'm not too busy, and if, if, if all the planets align, and, and everything is perfect in my life, then I can maybe spare a little bit for fellowship. I want you to understand how important fellowship is, church. It's not an option. It is not an option within our Christian faith. So what is fellowship and how can it be defined? The original Greek word that we translate into the word fellowship is koinonia. If you want to speak Greek today, say koinonia. Koinonia, great. It literally means having in common. I'm going to use that word a lot today, koinonia. But it literally means having in common. True, listen to me, true born again Christians have many things in common, including the hope that's within them, the experience that they had with God's grace, the Holy Spirit's work in their life, their worldview, and so many other commonalities. We have everything in common. So many things in common. And that's what koinonia is all about, having in common. Acts 2, 40 through 43 says this, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That's like permission for me to do the same, isn't it not? I mean, if Peter preached for a long time, shouldn't I be able to? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Be like Peter? <laughs> then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and then added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. You guys know this scripture. This is right after the Holy Spirit fell on them in the upper room. They went outside. They were speaking in unknown tongues, and uh, people thought they were drunk. And, and uh, Peter said, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. I mean, this is, this is uh, the, the, the fulfillment of, of what the prophet Joel prophesied about. And then he began to preach uh, the, uh, the first sermon ever preached since the Holy Spirit arrived on earth, and 3,000 people got saved. That's what's going on right here. And then verse 42 says, all the believers, all those believers that were in the upper room and the ones that had just been added, about 3,000, all the believers devoted those, themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, or koinonia, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is communion, but not just communion, they were also sharing meals together, and to prayer. In verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. Koinonia or fellowship is the idea of people in uh, common being in community. It's, it's, it's like they just form a community. It definitely involves unity, which speaks of agreement, not uniformity, which is sameness. Unity, agreement, uniformity, Sameness. And I want you to write that down because it's very important in how you approach church life. Uniformity is not what God wants. If he wanted uniformity, you wouldn't look like you look. And what I mean by that is you all look different. 
Please turn to your neighbor and say, you look different. Yeah. We all look different. God's the God of infinite variety and, and he makes everyone so unique. He makes them all different. But then he says, walk in unity. I mean, we have different temperaments. We have different hairstyles. We have different likes. We have different dislikes. We have different uh, uh, beliefs about certain things that I'm not talking about spiritual beliefs there, but just certain ideas in our, in our head and how things work. We have, we have just so many differences. But God says, you're different, but agree. So be in unity. Unity. Unity is what God is after, not uniformity. These early believers not only were committed and devoted to their relationship with Christ, hear me, they were also committed and devoted to one another. They were committed to Christ, but they were committed and devoted to one another. Let that sink a little bit. Because the church of today does not look like the church back then. There's pockets of churches, and I think we're one of them that does a pretty good job. I think we can always do better, but where the people are devoted to one another. They're committed to one another. And in these early believers, they, they worked at building open, honest, and spiritually encouraging relationships with God's people. How refreshing would it be to come to a church where people were open and honest and tried to build relationships that were encouraging and it wasn't a contest every time you walked in the door. How nice your clothes were, how nice your car is. A race to get to that certain pew. We're getting some new chairs coming in. Don't be picking a chair for the next 40 years. Okay? I mean, we're gonna know because the foam will start to groove right around your gluteus maximus. And it will form fit you. And that might be comfortable for you, but then if somebody else sits there, it's gonna be like, ooh, I, this isn't my chair. Somebody else formed this out. Church doesn't look like that, does it? Where, where people are just so uh, devoted and committed to one another that they just have these open, honest relationships, spiritually encouraging relationships, and, and, and they just love one another unconditionally. They're devoted. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I played that little sermon bumper beforehand, pictures of our church. We do a pretty good job, we can do better, and I played the cheers song. Why do you think I do that? Because the bar does a lot better at this than the church does most of the time, church. Not that we don't do a good job, I think we do. But I think we can do better. As you read through Acts, it's difficult not to notice that these early believers spent a lot of time together and they absolutely depended on one another. They were unified in love and they were unified in purpose. They shared meals with one another, they took communion together, they prayed corporately all the time, they didn't avoid corporate prayer meetings. They, they, they came together, they were committed and devoted to one another. They exhibited true koinonia. They were different people, but unified in purpose. They were in fellowship with one another. These believers remind me a bit of uh, the people back in, in Genesis 11 with a different twist. But back then, the, in, in Genesis 11, the people had everything in common and they unified themselves for a common purpose. That's what it says. 
They began to build a tower, if you remember, the Tower of Babel. And they did this out of rebellion, we know that, trying to exhibit an independence from their need of God. And when the Lord saw how unified they were in their, even in their rebellious endeavor, he said this about them in Genesis eleven six: Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. That's interesting. People who are in rebellion, really, unifying themselves, having a, a commonality between them, God said because of their unifiedness that they could accomplish anything that they proposed to do and nothing would be impossible for them. What if his Holy Spirit, if, if God's Holy Spirit empowered church, endeavored to be so unified, not in rebellious uh, purposes, but unified to build the kingdom, can you imagine what would happen? We get a glimpse of it in Acts 2.43, which I've already read, but I want to go back to it. Acts 2.43, it says, A deep sense, this is after it's talking about how all the believers, they were together, they, they fellowship, they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to one another. And then it says in verse 43, right after that, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I wonder if the lack of miraculous signs and wonders within the church of America could be tied to our laziness when it comes to the discipline of living a life of fellowship with each other. And let's be real, most of us aren't where we should be in this. We don't always love putting up with one another. Um, I think that's why it's easy to avoid signing up for life groups, which we're doing out there today, or even volunteering to host a life group it's too much work, we just don't have time, I don't want a bunch of undisciplined kids running around my house. Who's been there? All right, I, I, I'll raise both hands. It's too uncomfortable being company in someone else's home. And the list of excuses goes on and on and on. But here's the facts, koinonia takes effort. It takes work. It's not always comfortable. If you want comfortable, go to a different church because you're not going to find it here. And I hope that's okay for me to say that. We're not called to be comfortable, right? Okay, three people said that's right. We're not called to be comfortable, right? I do have a church here. Hallelujah. Yeah. takes effort, fellowship. It causes confrontations, which most of us avoid at all costs. I don't, I don't like the confrontation that happens when I'm with other people. Well, maybe it's not the other people's fault. Maybe it's yours. May not be. But as the church becomes increasingly disconnected because of their lack of fellowship, and I want you to think about this, the church in America has become increasingly disconnected. Even in, the local, in a local body like ours, it becomes disconnected. Not because we've grown bigger, but because we've grown apart.
I believe there will be a decrease as that disconnection increases because of lack of fellowship. I believe there's going to be a decrease in the church's effectiveness to expand. Churches that have no koinonia will eventually die. I want you to know how strongly I believe about this because I think it's key, and many, many people miss this. Fellowship is just as important as anything else. I'm going to say something radical. Fellowship with each other outside of these four walls is just as important as you coming here, sitting in the pew, and listening to me preach. It's part of what you're supposed to do as a Christian. It's so important that we're going to have, uh, that, that we have a, a, a commercial kitchen that serves breakfast by orders. You know, we, we do short order cooking in the kitchen on Sunday mornings. Why do we do that? Because our church is too big to, to be in a, in, a, in a fellowship hall, so to speak. So we've turned our, our fellowship room into more of a restaurant type setting where people can come together around tables and have fellowship, have koinonia. You think that that's just a, a whim? That that's why we did that? I want fellowship. I want koinonia. And if we have to do things to produce it, I'll do things to produce it. Why do you think we plant churches as a church? We plant churches because sometimes the only way you can grow is to get smaller. What's the biggest reason for getting smaller? You have better koinonia. If we take a group of people out of this church and we plant them over here, they will become closer because they're going to be working so close together. You understand what I'm saying? saying you can't have koinonia in a huge church. I'm not, I'm not saying that. You can. But it becomes very intimate when you get a launch team together and they start putting, you know, they start a grassroots kind of movement that, that becomes a, a new church. It's exciting to me to create koinonia in the house of God whenever we can. That's why we have life groups. How many have ever learned more on a given life group week? You learn more in the life group than you did at church that Sunday. I mean, raise your hand. You're not going to offend me. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I'm talking about. Koinonia matters. Fellowship matters. It's absolutely essential. It's not optional. And make no mistake, bearing one another's burdens, it's difficult. Holding one another up in love is taxing. Putting one another's needs above your own is flat out tiring. But this is what we are called to do, church. Christianity is the only army that shoots its own wounded on a regular basis. We ignore each other's problems because we don't want to get involved. When we ought to be binding up one another's wounds... We turn away because it requires too much effort. Folks, we were never meant to do this walking in the light thing alone. We weren't meant to do it alone. We need one another. We are better together than we are apart. And the local church is God's method for us to continue in koinonia. And you can have fellowship without a church. I, I, I get that, but it's very, very difficult. And probably what you'll fall into if you try to do it without a church is you'll fall into, again, uh, uh, this, uh, you'll, you'll gravitate towards a few others who are exactly like you in personality and temperament, and uniformity will happen. Because uniformity is easier to achieve than unity, right? Find a bunch of people just like you and you can all get along, right, for a while. 
Unity's hard because it, it's different but agreement. And that's all well and fine, Pastor Barry might say, but I don't like many of the people that I go to church with. Well, too bad. God's called you to have koinonia with them. And that doesn't mean that there won't be those who you get along with better than others. And it doesn't mean that everyone in church is going to be your closest friend all of a sudden and best bud. Not talking about that. But it does mean that instead of talking trash to others about others and ignoring or avoiding people, that you can, you might just have to learn to, to, to be with them and maybe shut your mouth once in a while about other people. Oh, I sat behind such and such today at church and oh my goodness, the way they deal with their kids. I was sitting next to so-and-so today and ooh, somebody needs a bath real bad. That's how we talk, isn't it sometimes? We start ripping on one another. Did you see what she was wearing? Oh my Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are the ones God's called you to have fellowship with. Well, I don't want to have fellowship with them. Well, then find a different church that you are called to. Fellowship, koinonia, it's not an option. Look around this room. Look at each other. I mean, this is a squirrely bunch. I mean, where in the world are you going to find a group of people like this? Diverse, age-wise, generational-wise. Some have hair, some don't. I mean, it's just, re you're really different. Looks like the bride of Christ to me. Not one of you perfect. I mean, the second you start pointing the finger at somebody... Have you ever noticed you got three pointing back at you? We weren't meant to do this walking in the light thing alone. We're better together than we are apart. Jesus loves unity. The unity that he has with us as his bride says that he's willing to love us unconditionally. Even though we are the way we are. I think about this. How can we be recipients of so great a grace? I mean, God has, Christ has unity with us, right? Through the cross, through his blood, right? We have unity with him. We're one with Christ. If God, and, and I know me, do you know you? The most dangerous person in the room is the one who doesn't know what he doesn't know, right? Did you, did you catch that? That's a good thing to write down. The most dangerous person in the room is the one who doesn't know what he doesn't know. I know me. I know what goes on in my heart and in my head and in my thoughts and all that. I know what kind of things can, can happen within this soul that aren't good. Do you know you? I think about it. And I tear up and I, I'm overwhelmed that God would love me enough to die for me and make sure that I could still have communion with him, that I could still have fellowship with him, that I could still have koinonia with him through his blood. Because I don't deserve it. But he did it anyway. 
And if I can be such a recipient of grace that's so great, how in the world can I not extend that to others? I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. So let's do it. This is in the message version. I like this version. Let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together. I'm gonna camp there for just a second. Where do you worship together? Church. Yeah, maybe at Life Group once in a while, a little bit. Church. Church, here. Not avoiding worshiping together. Can I say this? There's a new trend that says 50% of the people come to church 50% of the time. That's happening in our church. Stop it. You know what I mean? There was not too many years ago when, man, the old timers would tell you if the rapture happened and you weren't sitting in church and you could have been in church, you'll miss the rapture. Now that might be taken a little far, I agree. But I love the point. You're so committed and devoted to one another that you're not gonna miss an opportunity to be in church worshiping together because you know what? It's not all about you. You might need to go to church to be there for somebody else. It's not all about receiving. Well, I'm pretty good today. I, I don't know if I need, I, I got, me and Jesus are, you know, we're tight today. We've had a good week. I can skip church this week. Oh, because it's all about you, you know. Come on. We come together because it's about one another, right? And you bring things to the table when you come to this place that I don't bring to the table and nobody else brings to the table that's in this place. You are unique. That's why God loves unity. I better jump back in this verse. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do. Those 50%ers, 50%ers. I mean, that's, that's... that's one step away from being a creaster, okay? If you don't know what a creaster is, it means you come to church Easter and Christmas. It's a creaster. Or Christmas and Easter. Creaster, get it? Okay. <laughs> Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. What's the big day? The Lord coming back with a shout. But because we don't like the effort that it takes to live this out, this relationship thing, this fellowship thing, this koinonia, we go to church because we know we should. We get involved to the extent that our conscience is clean. We put money in the offering so that the pastoral staff can do all the koinonia stuff for us. And we end up with powerless, non-relationship, dead church that should probably just close its doors because we do more harm than good. And if you don't believe me, Look at our Knoxville church before we took it over. It's exactly what happened. Died. Dead. Sat empty for a year. That shouldn't be. Okay, that was my definition of fellowship. Are you understanding what it is? I'm going to give you the next point here. Fulfilling fellowship. How do we fulfill it? How do we fulfill koinonia and truly live a life of fellowship with one another? And I'm gonna give you two points on how to do this. Number one, be there for others. Be there for others. 
And I want you to think of the last time you had an open, honest, relationship-building time with someone else in the body of Christ. Family counts, but our fellowship can't be reduced to only our immediate family either. When's the last time? For some of you, it might have been a long time ago. To not make yourself available to others is to deny them of all the wonderful things that you bring to the body of Christ as an individual person. I'm gonna say it this way. You have a responsibility to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ not to use you or to abuse you, but to be there for them. You have a responsibility to be there for them. Yes, setting up reasonable borders and boundaries will keep your relationships healthy. And this is what happens. What I'm getting at here is is when we step out and we want to be there for somebody, we're there for others, then some people will take advantage of that, and then it's like you can't get rid of them, and they just just smother you, right? So then people, good-hearted people, good-intentioned people who want to be there for others begin to back away from, from doing what they're supposed to do because they don't like the abuse that they get. They don't like being treated that way and they don't like being smothered and they can't handle that and I get that. Oh boy, do I get that. That's why you set up boundaries and that's a good thing and it's an okay thing. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. I loved what Bev Calloway used to say. Your lack of planning does not constitute an emergency on my part. (laughs) Wonderful, wise words. So in other words, if someone's going through a crisis, it doesn't mean you have to drop everything and run to them. I mean, there's emergency cases that that might be the case, but but you know, most of the time, when people have a need, you can say, okay, let's get together tomorrow. Let's get together in a few hours. Let's get together. You don't have to let it be that. And then spend an hour with them. Talk to them. Encourage them. You don't have to counsel them. Do you know what most people need in those kinds of times when they're hurting and they're suffering or they're going through something major? Do you know what most people need? Someone to listen. You don't have to have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. You just listen. And they get it off their chest. And you encourage them. And you tell them how much God loves them. You don't have to let them Overtake your whole life to have koinonia. There is this thing called balance, right? And I think the church not being balanced sometimes makes them just run the other direction. Well, we don't want none of that because that's just too much work. And then koinonia never happens. And that's not right either. So maybe I'm calling you back a little bit for those of you that have experienced that. I mean, you can't keep yourself completely inaccessible to others in the body of Christ because just because you didn't set up healthy borders the last time, and just because you were burnt last time. To be honest, this morning, most of us just run out of time during a given week. We don't have the time to deal with our own situations and circumstances, let alone get involved with helping others deal with theirs. How many of you have ever been there? It's just like, I don't know if I can take on one more thing. I, I mean, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can really be there for somebody because I... I'm barely there for myself. But I would ask the question, why don't you have the time? Why is it like that in your life? Christians uh, used to make, and, and they made the time to be at one another's weddings. You don't see that anymore in the church. They used to enjoy spending whole Saturdays at one another's homes. I mean, that, that was a thing of the past. 
It's amazing in the last 15 years how church family doesn't even attend the funerals of their fellow parishioners. We all have a funeral here. It'll be somebody from the church that's been here for years and there'll be five people from the church here because of work, because of all sorts of things. And I'm not, I'm not laying on a guilt trip at all, not, not doing that at all. But there's a reason for it in our society that we've, we've, we've shied away from being there for one another. Maybe it's because we don't prioritize or because we work too much to pay for things we don't need. Maybe we just don't care enough either. Maybe that's the reason. It's probably different for every person, but whatever the reason, one thing's for sure, the church today doesn't look like the church in the past when it comes to fellowship. Our koinonia has been reduced to an optional thing when it's convenient and happens to fit into our schedule. It wasn't optional for the believers back in the book of Acts, and it wasn't really even optional 40, 50 years ago. This is something that's changed pretty recently within the church, over time, but recently. First part of fulfilling fellowship is you have to be there for others. The second part of fulfilling fellowship is let others be there for you. And this really goes to our pride in most cases. We don't want anyone else to help us. We're self-sufficient and don't need help. But God has designed us to be interdependent. Interdependent. You need the person sitting next to you and the family sitting behind you and the one sitting in front of you. I loved uh, some of these pictures. I don't know if you noticed, and we didn't have a lot of time to gather pictures, and some of you might have saw, seen somebody up there more than once and thought right away, well, I guess they're the popular ones. <laughs> Maybe you just don't take pictures. I don't know. It really wasn't the point. But I love the picture of Janet and Isaiah. They were in the car because they've gone on, and it was a picture of them, they were on a date together. Isaiah Thompson, how old is he? 11. Going, they, they go to movies together. How awesome is that? It keeps her young, and it keeps, I mean, he gets to hang around someone who's wise. It's, it's just a beautiful picture. They're in a car together, and, and what movie were you gonna go to? The first one? You went to Star Wars. Okay, not necessarily, was that, do you like that kind of movie? Is it? Oh, that's your kind of movie, okay, perfect. So, normally it wouldn't be, but that's awesome. But that's, you understand, that's fellowship. I love when people do things together like that. There was a picture of, uh, of, of me, and I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back, with Charlie. Did you see that one where we were making funny faces? It, it, you know, that was one of those days that I was really, really, really busy. And um, they had asked, Amber had asked me and Alyssa, because uh, Charlie, it was grandparents' day at Victory. And, and you know, there it is, yeah. And, and, and Charlie's grandparents couldn't make it, so he asked if Alyssa and I could come and be his grand, adopted grandparents for the day. And, you know, you make the time. Because people are important. You make the time when you have to. And it was a fun time. I had fun. Charlie showed me his class, and... You know, I think this, God probably blessed me by the time I got back because I said yes to something that was right to do and, and everything went so smooth the rest of the afternoon that I didn't get behind on anything even though I gave up some time. That's how it works. 
You make time, guys. You gotta make it important. I love seeing those pictures. I love the, I know Norma, Norma said to me, um, and, and it was, it's, it's Norma's 90th birthday on last, this last Friday. Woo. And she loves on everybody in this church. I mean, if you, if you come to church here for two weeks, you know Norma. It's not something we assigned her to do. It's something she just does. She does this well. She's sitting back with my buddy back there. It's good to have you here, man. It's good to have you here. And uh, she's loving on him. He just lost his, his wife not too many weeks ago. And, and uh, that's where koinonia is important. She jumps in and has got her arm around him and loving on him when he comes to church. And it's no fun coming to church after you lose your spouse, is it? Because you're sitting alone and you feel weird. That's where koinonia is really important. It's where fellowship with one another is really important. Right? We need each other. We need each other. I love the fact that you guys, Pastor Jared and Devin, uh, uh, invited Norma over and had her over for supper, and, and um, she just expressed to me how much fun she had and how many times she just kind of teared up just getting to be a part of the family there. And How awesome. That stuff should be happening all the time. You know what? And it shouldn't take a coordinator to do it. We don't need fellowship coordinating in the church. We should just have so much of it that we almost can't stop it. We wouldn't want to stop it. Fellowship. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 22. It's a little portion of scripture, a little bigger than what I'd normally read, but I, I just want you to get the, the whole gist of this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Verse 14, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? And then verse 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say, and hear this, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. He's talking about the body of Christ here, the church. I need you. I need each one of you as part of the body of, of Christ. Adam, I need you. We're very different. We probably butt heads on some things once in a while. That's okay. I need him. It's part of the body. You can't say, well, I have no need of that. If you're going to fulfill the discipline of fellowship in your life, you will have to admit that you have need of others within the body. How prideful do we have to be to live as if we need no one? And I get it. To depend on others for help, you must allow yourself a certain amount of vulnerability. We fight against that because we don't want to be hurt. But how much are we hurting ourselves when we refuse to live in fellowship with one another? What kind 
of power within the church are we holding back because we would rather go it alone than do what it takes to live in koinonia? Being there for others and letting others be there for us. Being there for others and letting others be there for us. With boundaries, healthy boundaries, sure. With people not being offended all the time, right? Well, if you put up a boundary, I'll be offended. Well, then that's their problem. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. If you're living the Christian life, church, you're going to offend somebody. In and outside the church, probably. We live in a world that we don't want to be offensive and we're really easily offended. Man. Being there for others and letting others be there for us. That's how you get this fellowship thing done. And it takes a lifetime of striving. It takes a lifetime of working at it. It's not just a wave the wand, make a decision, it's done. It takes work and it takes effort. And church, I'm calling you today I'm calling us all back in this series to get back to the basic disciplines of the faith. This is one you cannot ignore. None of, you can't ignore any of them, but this, you can't ignore this one either. This fellowship thing, it's not optional. Prayer's not optional. The word of God's not optional. Praise and worship's not optional. Living a life that's holy is not optional. Living a life of fellowship is not optional. It's just not. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.